Section 34 of Chapters on Evolution by Andrew Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 13 The Evidence from the Constitution of Colonial or Compound Animals. Part 1. Amongst the many aspects in which the biologist is accustomed to view the universe of life, few possess a greater interest than that which deals with the nature of animal and plant personality and with the structural philosophy of the living frame it is not sufficient for the due investigation of living structures that the forms of animals and plants be compared and their more obvious differences and peculiarities noted and recorded in scientific annals such details and such procedure suffice perfectly for the ordinary run and course of biological work and form no doubt the source of the everyday knowledge on which natural history science grows and progresses but a higher era of scientific thought intervenes when philosophy in its search after relationships and causes steps forward to correlate and utilize the knowledge observation has acquired the higher questions of cause and origin are not solved by observation alone it requires and demands the power of placing facts in appropriate light and shade ere the mutual relations of these facts can be determined and before their place in the systema naturae can be definitely ascertained judged by this criterion and standard there are some topics of biology which altogether belong to the region of the abstract and the transcendental patient industry may discover for instance that a crayfish within the egg repeats as a stage in its development the likeness of a form represented today by the adult state of some lower crustacean but it requires philosophy of a transcendental kind to see what that fact means and what such a discovery implies to the universe of life around one may perfectly appreciate by ordinary observation that a horse walks on the single toe of each foot and that its two splint bones represent useless rudiments of other two toes but it is through an exercise of abstract science alone that we can form the concept of a single-toed horse having arisen from a three-toed one and from the latter phase of development extend a like thought to that of other living beings the applications of philosophy to the facts of nature remind one strongly of the most singular and mysterious work of that nature in the production of the living thing itself in the performance of that function we require a certain quantity of the substance called formative material by the learned in biology and protoplasm by the single-minded amongst us this material contains all that is required for the formation of the living frame in so far as the material of that frame is concerned but in protoplasm alone we do not find all that is demanded for the growth of the new being we require likewise activity of some kind potential or real chemical physical or vital or all three combined and we depend upon this activity for the combination of the elements of our germ and for the power whereby that germ will in time blossom into full fruition so is it in truth with the application of knowledge and with the evolution of the wisdom which arranges our knowledge in its due array the knowledge we gain is after all in itself pure material on which the potential power of philosophy must exert its influence ere the results of seeking and finding wisdom be fully appreciated the evolution of a natural fact or set of facts to take its place in the array of knowledge we name a science is therefore matter of higher development than that which merely discovers the facts themselves only when philosophy has touched the inert mass of detail 
does the harmonious and arranged system spring into view with its power of truly adding to man's knowledge of the universe around and overhead only when the search for causation has begun can our intellectual gains be fully appreciated in our labor of untwisting all the chains that tie the hidden soul of harmony such a topic as presents itself to view in the individuality of animals belongs it may be with all truth affirmed to the domain of the philosophy which applies knowledge rather than to the sphere of mere fact and observation itself this declaration might sufficiently prejudice the subject in the eyes of readers who might be given to view with suspicion any opinion which apparently lowered fact in the scale of credence but the philosophy we eulogize bases its existence on the facts we value it is the mint stamp of knowledge which impresses fact with its popular and received value inasmuch as without such impress the fact itself however valuable fails to relate itself to its neighbor truths hence if in the present chapter we may venture somewhat within the domain of transcendentalism it may readily be shown that from the sober basis of facts all our philosophy in reality takes origin by way of at once illustrating this latter proposition as well as of laying the foundation stone of our present study we may enter upon a recital of the facts of individuality as represented in the living series around us a superficial acquaintance with the facts of natural history serves to demonstrate the truth of the axiom that every animal originates directly or indirectly from that reproductive body we term an ovum or egg as the result of the development of that egg the animal body becomes the adult and of the plant the same truth holds good the seed or germ undergoing development and passing through stages which are as a rule of well-defined nature at last appears before us as the perfect plant which in its turn will produce blossom and fruit and will finally lead us back once more to the seed and germ one marked and very obvious difference between high animals and low animals is found to exist in the different results to which development leads the lower animal's growth ceases and its adult condition is attained at a stage when the development of the higher being has barely begun it takes but little trouble on nature's part so to speak to convert the matter of life of a low animal or plant into a form like itself on the other hand the development of a higher animal means time and trouble to use a familiar expression and entails the elaboration and building of a complex body from that which is invariably in its first stages uniform and simple in structure such an animal form as a gregorina for instance presents us with a good example of that simplicity of development and that primitiveness of personality which marks the lower fields of animal life a gregorina is a minute speck of protoplasm found inhabiting the digestive canal of worms insects and crustaceans as an internal parasite each gregorina lives what may be described as the simplest form of existence existing in the digestive system of its host it literally lies bathed amidst the nutriment which that host is elaborating for the repair of its own tissues possessing no traces of any of the organs belonging to higher animal existence the gregorina lives by the absorption of the digestive fluids of its host and save for the slow contractions which are sometimes seen to pass in waves along the surface of its body no movements can be observed whereby its animality might be popularly confirmed the course of gregorina development is by no means complex 
the body itself in lieu of an egg or germ will sooner or later become of globular shape the little solid body or nucleus seen normally in its interior will vanish by a kind of physiological necromancy and the body substance itself will break up and divide into spindle-shaped masses for which the thickened rim or margin of the body forms a covering then this globular body margin ruptures the little spindles of protoplasm escape therefrom and finally each develops with but little change into a gregorina like that from which it was derived now such a life history as this is instructive especially when viewed from the standpoint of animal individuality the single gregorina is seen to break up into numerous other gregorini each of which repeats at first the single state and then the process of division into particles which characterized its parent each gregorina then may in natural history language be named a persona or person that is to say it is a single or individual animal representing in itself even as does each of the higher animals a defined and component element of the animal world a like remark might be made of many other lower forms of animal life an amoeba which differs from a gregorina chiefly in that it possesses an active power of locomotion by pushing out its body substance into long processes is likewise a single individual animal which represents as an oyster or a bird does a well-defined unit quantity in the sum total of the living series there is however one important epoch in the life of both gregorina and amoeba when each organism for both exhibit essentially the same course of development shows a tendency to lose its individuality in the division of its body to form other individuals at one stage in its development namely when filled with the miniature spindles or protoplasmic particles into which it has divided itself the gregorina or amoeba in reality becomes a colony or aggregation of beings but such a tendency is at the most transitory and the temporary colony speedily resolves itself into a diffused and separated mass of young organisms whose individuality and indeed whose whole existence is due to the destruction of those of their parent in another sense the amoeba may occasionally show this tendency to lose its single and defined individuality in that of the compound colony for occasionally particles or offshoots of the amoeba's protoplasmic body detach themselves therefrom and pass away like precocious emigrants from the parent frame to assume all the functions of amoebae on their own account in this way and through the exercise of the simplest reproductive process we know of namely that of fission or simple division of an animal's body into two or more new beings the amoeba body converts itself from a single individual into a mother colony with offshoots and emigrants seeking a life and existence of their own and last of all in the gregorina itself we may find certain important variations in structure which seem to threaten the destruction of the individualism of its body and to merge the individual in the crowd for we know not merely of gregorini which consist apparently of but one mass of protoplasm as already described but of others which exhibit a division of body into two or even three compartments what the significance of this tendency to division or segregation may be is yet matter of conjecture but at first sight its meaning would seem to foreshadow the same destruction of individual constitution which in their development these organisms unquestionably exhibit 
Even in the lowest animals, each consisting of a minute mass of protoplasm, there is thus observed a tendency, at some period or other of their life history, to depart from the single state, and by division, or as it is named, segregation of their substance, to form a colonial or compound organization. But even in the lower confines of animal life, which harbor the amoebae and Gregorini as typical tenants, are represented states and phases of organization which are purely and typically colonial. Thus that low form of life known as mixodictium normally exists as a collection of protoplasmic particles, such as would be exactly imitated if a number of amoebae banded and fused themselves together. It is equally interesting to note that the vast majority of the foraminifera, or chalk animalcules, are to be regarded as exhibiting a compound constitution. For in these animalcules, which are as a rule of compound nature, the growth of new divisions of the shell takes place by a process of budding, and through the production of new protoplasmic units, which remain organically connected with the original mass. Nor are the lowest plants to be left out of consideration in this recital of primitive colony-making. The cryptogamic botanist well knows certain green specks of microscopic size, each called chlamydomonas, which swim freely in fresh waters by means of two long cilia or miniature eyelashes projecting from one extremity of the body. Now there exist in stagnant waters certain other curious bodies, long known as globe animalcules, before they were ascertained to be lower plants. Each of these bodies is scientifically named a volvox, and appears to consist of a hollow globe or sphere, covered with innumerable little specks of bright green, and swimming freely through the water by the waving action of the fine cilia which fringe its body. More minutely examined, this rolling globe is found to consist of a collection of little green bodies, each of which, in all essential details, exactly resembles a single chlamydomonas. The filaments fringing the volvox are in reality pairs of cilia like those of chlamydomonas, and are attached to the little green bodies aforesaid. Thus volvox, so far from being an animal, is firstly a rootless lower plant, and secondly, so far from being one plant, volvox is in reality a colony of the lowest members of the vegetable world. There are many other algae, or lowest plants, which resemble volvox in their compound nature and thus the beginnings of plant life appear to present us with a tendency towards colonization, similar to that which faces us on the threshold of the other series of living beings. In the curious group of sponges, we may find our next convenient halting place in our researches into animal individuality and its variations. From forming the bête noire of the naturalist of former years, who was troubled in his mind as to the animal or plant nature of sponges, to occupying a singular and anomalous position in the animal classifications of today, this group of organisms has attained a well-merited celebrity. The living parts of a sponge, that is to say, the parts which form and make the sponge framework, and which alone concern us in our present investigation, consist of masses of protoplasm, which are in their way strictly comparable to the minute bodies or cells of which our own tissues are built up. A sponge, as to its living parts, is a mass of protoplasmic cells, quote, some of which, as Huxley puts it, have all the characters of amoebae, while others are no less similar to monads, unquote. These latter, being microscopic masses of protoplasm, furnished, like chlamydomonas, with two waving cilia. 
the comparison of a sponge to a kind of submarine venice with its canals along the banks of which the inhabitants or masses of protoplasm reside and through which flow the water currents bringing particles of nourishment to these denizens is therefore seen to be fully justifiable in one sense still more justifiable and appropriate would such a metaphor be could we prove that the sponge was in reality what the simile indicates namely a colony of animals seeing that the comparison of the sponge to the adriatic capital derives its whole force from the assumption that its personality like that of the city is compound and not simple and single like that of the element or unit as we shall hereafter see more plainly the sponge must be judged like every other living being not by its appearance or by what it simulates but by what it originated from as an apparent collection of organisms it might well be regarded as a veritable colony on other grounds the sponge might appear as rightfully entitled to be considered as single and undivided an animal unit as a man the grounds on which these opinions are based need not now be specified but the history of how a sponge grows finds its appropriate place at this stage of our inquiry the most typical sponges as already shown grow each from an egg which passes through characteristic stages of development and finally becomes a cup-shaped body possessing a double wall the cavity of the cup opening outwardly by a distinct mouth then pores or openings are formed in the wall of this cup placing its interior in a new fashion in communication with the outside world the outer wall of the cup and the inner wall likewise consist of cells and those of the inner wall finally come to possess cilia which by their constant motion cause currents of water to flow into the inside of the cup through the pores and outwards by its mouth the nourishment of a sponge is subserved by these water currents bringing food and oxygen to its living cells and the simple or cup-shaped sponges of which many species are known exhibit a history resembling that of which the outlines have just been sketched the horny sponges the skeletons of certain species of which we use in our domiciles may and do develop into organisms of a more complex character than the cup sponges present and they may also originate from buds as well as from eggs the common green freshwater spongila found growing on the sides of canal locks and in similar situations illustrates the former method of development this species propagates its kind by veritable buds whilst it also produces eggs and another curious fact possessing a significant bearing on the individuality of the sponges consists in the observation that when two spongili are placed in contact they merge together into one they may also be divided artificially or may separate spontaneously into two or more organisms each of which will lead an independent existence the sponges then may be hereafter referred to as a group of animals which whilst originating from eggs as do higher beings yet retain much of that tendency to segregation and separation into distinct and elementary parts which we may reasonably maintain is probably a primitive and fundamental character of all living beings nearly allied to the sponges are the little freshwater polyps named hydrate and the marine plant-like organisms familiarly known as zoophytes here we at once enter the domain of animal colonies and find intensified and illustrated in the plainest fashion those tendencies towards division and segregation of body which at the best are but dimly marked in lower organisms the hydra existing as a little green tubular body attached by one extremity to a water weed 
and exhibiting at the free end a mouth and tentacles at certain seasons exhibits a growth of small projections on its sides as these projections increase in size they grow into the likeness of young hydri each developing a mouth and tentacles and possessing so long as they adhere to the parent body free communication with the interior of the latter these budded hydri may in their turn produce buds and a veritable genealogical tree may thus be viewed in that three generations of polyps remain connected as they were produced by the parent stem the hydra thus converts itself normally into a compound colony through this process of budding but this state of matters is at the most transitory and temporary in hydra existence the budded individuals sooner or later break contact with the parent body and pass to seek a new lodgment and to begin life on their own account leaving the parent single as before but connected as we shall presently note to the free offspring by ties which our transcendental philosophy makes clear and plain it may lastly be remarked that in respect of structural constitution the closest similarity exists between a cup sponge and a hydra both possess tubular bodies and both consist of two cellular layers modern zoology has emphasized this likeness by placing the sponges in the same great group cylinterata which contains the hydra and zoophytes it is conceivable enough indeed that a hydra is simply a specialized sponge form possessing its compound and colonial nature somewhat disguised beneath an apparently single personality the constitution of a zoophyte is mere matter of repetition after the recital of the hydra's peculiarities the plant-like sertularian or sea fir which we dredge by the hundred growing on oyster shells or the flustra or sea mat of higher organization than the sea firs but presenting likewise the aspect of a marine plant present us each with a veritable colony of more or less similar beings united in the bonds of close relationship thus the sea fir as the type of the true zoophyte bears on its branches hundreds of little cups each of which contains an animal strictly corresponding in structure to a hydra this multitude of animal bodies is bound together in intimate union the stem and branches are hollow and each little mouth and body digesting the food its tentacles have captured transmits that food to swell the general stream of nutriment circulating through the tree-like fabric thus we find the principle of cooperation herein illustrated in plainest guise each little animal derives its own share of nutriment from the general store it has helped to manufacture and the exercise of the principle in question is all the more perfect in that its practice is free from those petty jealousies and personal inducements to infringe the duty of equal and harmonious work which usually beset the cooperative societies of higher existence the remaining points which call for notice in the history of the zoophyte may be shortly summed up the little members of the colony are continually dying off as the result of their life work but their place is supplied and the colonial loss repaired by the production of new buds as leaves fall from a tree and are replaced by the growth of new buds so the zoophyte units wither fall and in like fashion are represented anew in the constitution of the organism then lastly the origin of the zoophyte in an egg is worthy of note each zoophyte originally springs from an egg which passing through the changes common to the early development of all ova produces an embryo which settles down and attaches itself to some fixed object 
This first embryo next assumes the likeness of a single little hydra-like unit of the zoophyte colony. Then the process of budding commences. Bud after bud is produced, each growing into the likeness of the primary one, and all adhering together as parts of a connected organism, until we find reproduced before our eyes the tree-like form with which our research began. Thus a hydra and a zoophyte are very nearly allied, the chief difference between these organisms consisting in the fact that, whilst the buds remain permanently connected together in the latter, they are intended to seek an independent existence in the former. True, there are buds produced by the zoophyte which in many cases detach themselves and swim freely in the sea under the guise of jellyfishes, and which, apart from the zoophyte, mature the eggs from which new generations of these plant-like animals will spring. But these floating jellyfishes, despite their freedom, are in reality buds of the zoophyte. They are connected by all the ties of blood relationship with their plant-like parent, and are essential parts of the zoophyte colony, even when separated from the parent organisms by many leagues of sea. End of section 34, chapter 13, Evidence from Colonial or Compound Animals, part 1.